to the Built on Air podcast, the variety show for all things Airtable. Each episode, we cover four different segments. It's always fresh and different and lots of fun while you get the insider info on all things Airtable. Our hosts and guests are some of the most senior experts in the Airtable community. Join us live each week on our YouTube channel every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern. And join our active community at builtonair.com join. Before we begin, a word from our sponsor, OntoAir.com. Any business running on Airtable gets the value that Airtable has, but also needs a few more functions to complete their operations. That's where OntoAir comes in. It's a suite of tools for any business running on Airtable to maximize your operations efficiencies and automations. One customer, John, states that OntoAir enables his business to function properly without having to think about building their own software. And that is pretty invaluable. The OntoAir Airtable apps are amazing and we use them often and are very happy with the results. So join John and hundreds more customers and take your Airtable to the next level with OntoAir. Sign up today with promo code BUILTONAIR for a 10% discount. Check them out at OntoAir.com. And now let's check out today's episode and see what we built on air. Welcome back to the Built on Air podcast. We are in season 15, episode five. Good to be with you live this Tuesday morning. Got myself and Camille back and our regular guest host, Scott Rose with us. Welcome back, Scott. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Always good to have you back. So the Built on Air podcast is a hour-long show. We do every li- live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern, and we'll walk through what we're going to be doing today. We always start with our round the bases to keep you up to date with what's going on in all the communities and latest features of Airtable. Then we'll do a spotlight on Onto Air, a primary sponsor. Then Scott's going to walk us through a app, a third-party app called No Loco, and show how that works with Airtable. And then, and then Camille's going to walk through some updates with Timeline, uh, both the view and inside interfaces, I believe. And then a shout-out to join our community, and then we're going to wrap up talking about the new home screen and help you understand that. So with that, let's get started with our round the bases. A couple uh, feature updates, so we'll talk about those first. They launched mobile interfaces, at least on iPhone. So I'm not an iPhone user. I can't test this yet. But uh, I know there's been some reaction, but um, there's some screenshots of what you can do in here, some things. Any of you played with it yet? So while I do work for the company Apple, I also am an Android user for at least for the phone. So I haven't been able to actually use it um, for an extended period of time. Um, of course, all of my coworkers have iPhones. And so I was able to see um, what was like transferred over and not everything, not every page is available. Sort of unsurprisingly, the newer layouts are more compatible with um, the mobile interface and the older ones that are um, much more custom um, are not. I haven't seen any charts make their way over. I don't know if you could have a chart at all on mobile. Um, 
the, the elements that moved over seemed to work fine. Of course, I haven't used them for an extended period, so I don't know if they're buggy or anything like that. But uh, Scott, have you been able to? Um, no, I do have an iPhone. Unfortunately, I haven't played with this yet. Um, one question that I have is that it seems like, are they um, sort of ignoring the grid view? Like the new interfaces don't have a grid view option. You can still make one. It's just not surfaced for whatever reason. I think like list view is sort of assumed to be, you know, everyone's favorite over a grid view, but that's not always the case, right? Sometimes a list is more appropriate and sometimes a grid is more appropriate. And I haven't come across a full interface build where I didn't need both in some instances. And the times when I didn't need both, I leaned towards the grid over the list because it's very, that's when like presentation matters and it's less about presenting a bunch of data like all at once. <laughs> sometimes you want the field descriptions which aren't in a list view. So yeah, while they're not gonna be present in that opening sort of screen um, for creating a new interface page, you can still create a full grid thing. and I. I would imagine it's compatible. I don't know. I haven't been able to use it. I know Kavan mm. is the first person to respond to this thread. I'm sure I'll likely agree with whatever she says. <laughs> as soon as it's available I, on Android, I'm sure I'll have similar things to say. <laughs> yeah, I will have to actually test all this out. I haven't actually had a chance yet, unfortunately. Yeah, the, yeah, the only feedback I saw... Um... I don't think I have it up, but I know there's been discussion in other in the built-on air community about some of the limitations. Um, in general, it looks like fairly positive feedback. Um, Alicia says, I like the look of this view, but hate the feel of inline editing in yeah. this view. Yes. That's one of my issues with the list view, one of my multiple yeah. issues, which is why I like the grid view better. I would yeah. agree. Like I said, I feel like it's best for presenting and less about like, I need to edit data that might be <laughs> filtered a certain way, only show me my records, things like that. For list view, it's great if I just like, here's all of your projects, you know, you don't need to edit a bunch of stuff at once. One or two fields, fine. But if you really are getting in there, list view is not quite ready for that, I would say. I know they're making improvements and, and whatnot. It's improved more frequently than the grid view um, because it's newer, but mm. I would uh, I would agree with Alicia and Scott that it's not, mm -hmm. it's not purpose built for editing so much as presenting. Interesting. Wonder, is this an interesting tidbit? I'm just reading this. You added drag and drop back to side sheets. So if you pull up the thread that we covered, I believe the week before or the week before that, um, Phil Rose, who works at Airtable, responded that um, you can now disable um, the newer build system for detailed pages. Um, in the interim, I'll see if I could pull that up if, if you don't have it. Yeah, I don't have that up. Yeah, I think I think just reading through the comments in general, people's responses have been positive, saying it's a little buggy but promising. So a good start. I don't know if it's quite production ready yet, but um, yeah, it's certainly not done because there are yeah. certain things that aren't 
available. And I would imagine there are some things that won't be available ever. Like um, I imagine the the super old layouts just won't ever be compatible with mobile. And I think we're just going to have to bite the bullet on that. However, um, all of the newer stuff should, in theory, eventually become available. And also Android. Come on now. Yeah. 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 I mean, as long as it's coming soon, they can release, you know, early, but uh, yeah, that definitely needs to be there. Uh, yeah. It also looks like Airtable employees are responding. So that's good. Oh, there it is. We're actually working on Android. Well, that, well, they should. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. not exact release date yet. Um, I have that other thread up if okay. um, we want to go over that too. There we go. Um, so I misspoke. This is someone else at Airtable. Um, Bill was the person who responded first from Airtable. This is someone else, but they're basically saying in the interim, while they're working on improving um, site sheet behavior or detail pages in general, um, you can convert a newer detail page to what they're referring to as the legacy layout or legacy format. So you would look for the three dots in the top right corner and convert to legacy uh, layout. Uh, just so you know, you can't reverse this. You can't take an old or a legacy layout and convert it into the new system. So once you do this, you know, you'll have to make a new one if you want to use some of the features that were added to the uh, newer sort of system. So they also highlight the things that they're actively working on, some of which is in response to the various bits of feedback that they've received, including being able to more directly edit the fields themselves from within an interface, um, being able to customize rows and columns. That to me is promising because they could have just said rows, they said columns, which is, you know, good for me because I feel like I'll be able to drag or at least control the size of individual elements on the page in two directions rather than one. Mm -hmm. They say gray tinting will be added for visual separation. Um, previously, we were able to do either gray or whatever the light version of the color of the interface was, where now it seems like we're only getting gray. <laughs> okay. Um, field helper text will be available on interfaces. You can have helper text on a um, form view where it'll say like the name of the field and underneath it, much like a field description, it will give you additional place to put description. That seems like it would be useful. And they say more is coming. So um, yeah, so I would go back to this thread. This is the one called changes to side sheet behavior. It's on page three if you wanted to read that in more detail. Yeah, it seems like they maybe they listen to our podcast because it seems like they gave us this legacy option shortly after we talked about this a few weeks ago. But really what I think is it's, it's a reaction to all the backlash that they had on the forums. Yeah, yeah. yeah so way back when with the, um, I don't remember the precise order of events, the with the homepage change, which we'll be discussing later, I believe, um, if we have the time for it, you were able to, opt out of the homepage for some period of time and then that cut off. Now, were there changes implemented after the opt out period? No, I think it was the same. I think it was just delaying the inevitable. Whereas in a perfect world, such as like we seem to be seeing with this change, 
Um, you know, there's a change coming in the pipeline. You don't have to use it yet. And while they're still sort of cooking, you're able to give feedback and say, actually, this doesn't work. It'd be great if it would do this, et cetera. And by the time you're not allowed to opt out anymore, those, the major things will be addressed. Not everyone's going to be happy. Of course, you can never have a truly perfect product, but like no bugs, <laughs> number one. And then you don't lose uh, features or functionality. So hopefully this is a better implementation of that idea, being able to continue as you are used to for a particular project while still getting to test some of this new functionality and see what works and doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. This is the way to do it. The way to do it is what you just said, give people a choice. They can test it. They can give feedback. Hopefully they implement that feedback and then they roll out the new change instead yeah. of just one day we all wake up in the morning and boom, there's this whole new, a whole new way of being suddenly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, so lots of, lots of changes there. And, and I think you know, a lot of, we've alluded that a lot of the changes that they're making were in preparation for these mobile updates, which are now we're starting to see. So mm -hmm. definitely making that a priority. Camille predicted that. Camille, was that your prediction that that's why? I have vocalized it. Sure. Um, I think a sort of pattern with Airtable is they'll have some major thing cooking in the background. In this case, mobile ready interfaces. And that is something that many people had requested for quite some time. If you go way, way back to when interfaces were first launched as a beta, some of the things people wanted was it available on mobile because at the time the Airtable mobile app wasn't cutting it for a variety of reasons. Um, and then it took presumably all three years uh, to sort of work on it. I'm sure it was a gargantuan task. And then slowly but surely, they were adding little things that culminate in the mobile ready view because Airtable as it existed, you know, 2020, 2021 wasn't compatible. So they had to make little changes along the way in order to drop this release. So things like the newer interface pages that are less customizable, that means they're easier to put on mobile. And that's why those are the ones, generally speaking, that work on mobile, whilst the other ones are kind of 50-50. Sometimes they get converted over and sometimes they weren't. And things like the list view, although we just said it's, it's not great for mass uh, data editing, those moved over into the mobile interface from what I've seen. Again, I haven't been able to test it myself fairly smoothly because they were built at the time they were already thinking about mobile. That's my inferring, you know, unsure how accurate I am, but I feel like that's kind of what happened. Yeah. Dan, is your takeaway from this that Camille needs an iPhone? Is that, because that's what my takeaway is. <laughs> I will say I am, I have a Mac as my personal computer. Oh, nice. You know, I'm, I'm halfway there. It's halfway just that there. my phone is six months old. I don't need a new phone. <laughs> that's that's true. I used to work that's... with Apple for six years. And I've been there six months. So, oh, nice. And now Camille's been there full time six months. Congratulations. Yep. Yeah. Well, here's uh, Kai. Kai gives us some closure. It, it appears that um, grid views do not work on mobile. So, if you actually mm. have an interface that uses a grid view, the entire 
interface doesn't show. So you have to switch it to a list view to work. Now that's interesting. So like if the page contains a grid view, the whole page doesn't get. That I think is not great. What I would want, right? I'm assuming this is uh, an older page that uh, was fully customizable. You drag and drop everywhere. Right. What I would want to see is that all the elements on the page that could be converted over, presumably the text, right? Um, you know, the number field stuff at the top that might give you context and things, even a record picker um, might get converted over and you get a box that says element could not be rendered or something. And then to clarify to the user that it's not in error, right. it's more that, you know, grid views coming soon or something like that. I would prefer to see that rather than the whole page not being, you know, available. Yeah. 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 Very cool. All right, let's move on. Let us know in the comments what, what your reaction is to mobile and, and what you want to see there. Um, there was another one that came out. This one came out uh, on that Tuesday of last episode, linked record creation, deletion in various elements. This is probably one of my favorite sets of improvements to interfaces in some time. Of course, when I get to play with mobile, I'm sure I'll like several things about it and dislike several things about it. But this update for you know the desktop interface experience is like so many automations saved of nonsense workarounds for adding new records and deleting records. Um, yeah. Totally. Yeah, if you guys remember the dreaded lock icon at the bottom of the screen before- Oh, they even have a screenshot of it. Yeah, there it is. There's a screenshot. It said, you cannot add new records. <laughs> at least it told you. At least it told you you couldn't do it. Sure. But now you yeah. can. Now it looks like it's, uh, okay, yeah. So list, grid, calendar, Kanban, and timeline elements. So most of them. Uh, yeah, all except calendar. No, no, no. So well, what's missing? Yeah, that might be all of them. Huh. Okay. Nice. Yeah, I was wondering if it was just list view, but they say grid. I'm going to feel like a real amateur if I've forgotten the view type. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. List, gallery, Kanban, calendar, timeline, and grid. Yeah, that's all of them. So what I like most about this update is that they've separated out um, adding records in line and adding records via a form. And this is most applicable to the list and grid views where inline adding, you know, makes sense. Um, because when you add inline in a grid, right, values might come in if it's grouped, you know, the, the grouped value will come in if it's not an editable field, if it's a non-calculated field. But there's nothing that prevents you from leaving required fields empty in that case. So using a form is a great way of saying, here's what you need to um, fill in. Here, you know, we're not gonna bother showing you this field unless this value is filled in with a particular value. You can have defaults set for a form. Those are great in those instances. But for the reverse, if you just wanna add, you don't have like data constraints like that and you just wanna add a whole bunch in, an, um, in one go, adding inline is very useful you can toggle those on or off separately. A minor complaint, um, if you want to delete records in line, you have to turn on adding records in line. 
I feel like those should be separated out as well because I don't, I'm thinking of like a junction table, right? I don't necessarily want to add records in line because I want to pick from, you know, I want to make sure I have unique records and I could do that more easily through a form, but I want people to delete line items easily. So that's kind of more of a minor sort of uh, complaint. But other than that, basically everything in this update is stuff that I have personally been wanting for for quite some time because it is just so many bases and so many interfaces had you had to have one button for each for each element right for your user that says create a new record and it would fire some automation you have to wait for you know <laughs> the automation to complete and yeah. you don't necessarily have to do that anymore which is great yeah, yeah, I wonder how many are like uh, Carlston here that has been holding off building interfaces because of this feature. <laughs> you can now start using interfaces. I think it was probably surprising for most people when they were building their interfaces for the first time and they're like, oh, yeah. wait, what? You can't do this? Yeah. I I kind of understood it when it was in its beta phase, right? Because like creating a linked record under the hood, I guess it, you know, it adds some complexity there. And then when interfaces moved out of beta and was just like a full launch i was like "Ooh, we still can't do that huh. <laughs> that <laughs> right, seems like right, a right. major missing that's it was so bizarre to me that once it moved past beta and it still wasn't there i think we're like a year after yeah right i think it was in beta for two years and now it's been a year since it's no longer a beta and now we're getting this feature <laughs> so strange <laughs> it took Better so long yeah, better late than never, I guess. But if I can tie everything back to some grand conspiracy within Airtable, they probably had to do this before they could do mobile. Because <laughs> you expect to just press the button for like that, that floating plus button that was always locked. You expect to press that in a mobile environment rather than having a custom button appear some strange way in whatever Airtable decides it goes in a mobile sort of view. So right. I feel like they, again, they had to do it in order to launch mobile. Yeah, that makes sense. Enough. All right, next one, another, we've actually been, you know, sometimes some weeks it's, it's uh, very negative on decisions made by Airtable. I think this one, relatively happy with with the stuff um here's one if you were dying for slack more slack integration they've introduced actionable messages and so what that means is inside of Airtable, you can actually or inside of automations you can actually create these uh, messages that have buttons associated with them that then trigger um they trigger another automation that, that can do stuff in Airtable. So I started to play with this. I, I need to get um, I need to get it approved to do this. So maybe in a future episode, we'll, we'll show how this works, but um, kind of cool. I don't know that people were demanding it, but. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I never heard anybody demand this, but it is kind of cool. This is actually the first time that one of their actions, their automation actions can do something natively that make cannot do native natively, which is, which is interesting because this is not possible with make. I don't even know how they did this, but it's very cool. 
Yeah. Yeah. Slack has always been one of the like first party integrations that Airtable had, like before automations were part of the product, you would always be able to like send to Slack or, or sync your notifications to Slack or something. Mm. That was always a, an option in Airtable. And then automations came and then they got an action like, you know, same with Google Drive and Google Mail and whatever. So this is like, you know, maybe Slack is just the favorite <laughs> that they have this very specific. And uh, it seems like it'd be fairly useful for teams that are spending a lot of time in Slack and you have very standardized sets of, you know, actions that you do. Um, I don't know if my team is going to be able to make use of it, but it seems like it would be cool. I am curious how um, the different buttons are set up. Um, I can kind of see it in that screenshot, but I do wonder, is it just a dialogue that uh, comes up and says, you know, pick another automation to launch, or is it something that like, does it open a update record dialogue? And it's just that step that is triggered by that button. I don't know. Like it, it makes me think of like branching automations like you can do with make. Um, but I don't know if it's of that complexity. Yeah, I was also reading. So I actually don't know the answer to that. I was reading somewhere that it will only wait for someone to click on that for a certain number of days or something, and then it expires, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, so for so I guess the automation in a way is, I guess we'll have to see this on a future episode because I haven't played with this yet either this, since it uh, just came out a couple days ago. Um, so there is, it's almost like your automation is like waiting in a pause state in the background, and then it does something when you click on one of those buttons. Oh. Interesting. Yeah. So it's it almost is. like there's queued up, like your automations will be queued up in the background. I don't know if they if there's a visual for this when that happens. And each one is waiting for a button press, I guess, to finish its run, essentially. Yeah, I, I need to test this out because that's, yeah, me that's substantially different than the other actions and what they do. Because it's just, it's one one sort of go for all the other types of actions that happen one after another as soon as the other one finishes. So of uh, the concept of like waiting for a user response isn't something that's uh, really represented in other action steps. Yeah. Yeah. I could be wrong on this too, but that's that was my understanding from reading the documentation on it. Yeah, I mean, looking at this, it says if they click on approve, there's one field updated. So, um, yeah, so it's oh, okay. So it's like it's almost updated. like a conditional, you know, a conditional action step, one for each button that will update the record that triggered it in some way. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it pauses. I think it'll go on to the next step if you add it the next step. Because this this action is just to send the message. And then it'll right. just... Yeah, it seems like the whole automation will continue. But that one okay. step yeah. is sort of like... Maybe it's not pause per se, but that one step is still waiting. Yeah. But you know what? Maybe it has nothing to do with the automation. Maybe they're just doing it with the API behind the scenes. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So maybe the yeah. automation is never paused and never waiting at all. That that part of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that so. kind of makes sense. You could have another automation that triggers when 
approve equals check, you know, just have another automation. I could see yeah. you not necessarily needing it all to be one automation, if especially yeah. if there's a wait time for the person that clicked the button. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, you can, can do good stuff. Melanie, definitely true. Enterprise probably yeah. demanded it. Almost <laughs> certainly. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Yeah, you know what? That's what it must be. They must somehow encode those buttons with an API call to Airtable. So the automation is completely out of the picture by the time mm -hmm. the person clicks on the button. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That must be the way that they're doing it. Yeah. yeah. I feel like this is a wild guess. I feel like each button they set up gets its own webhook. And each mm. webhook, right, will will complete the, the tasks you assign to it. But I, I feel like that's what's happening under the hood, that the button simply fires a webhook with the predefined values attached to it. That's yeah. Good. And they wild do that. Oh, I'm sorry. What was that? I just said wild guess. Yeah. They do have that limitation on there's a certain number of webhooks you can have if you're using the API. So this may... Uh, this probably works around that limitation, is my yeah. guess, if they're, if they're using webhooks. Yeah, I think so. But I think it's very cool, though. I mean, none of my clients have requested this, but like Melanie said, somebody in enterprise probably really needed it <laughs> and demanded yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, more discussion on that in our um, in the built on air uh, community. <laughs> Looks like it's still not being fully rolled out. If I am. See, I think it is fully rolled out now because I because I did see it in a base that didn't have a Slack automation before. So I think it's mm -hmm. fully rolled out at this point. All right, last one, then we'll move on. Uh, Russell found a new feature that I don't believe was was announced by Airtable. So now in the sidebar view, in interfaces, there's now a print button icon. So I have seen this for at least a couple weeks. I feel like it was there at the time the new side sheets were released or before it, because old side sheets, I think, still also have this button. I could be wrong. There's a couple buttons in the top right for a side sheet. There's the close button. There's the uh, get link to you know, the unique URL, and then there's the print button. I know at least the link button is there for old side sheets. I don't know if the print button is there, but I feel like it is. Um, I've tried it. It's sometimes it works well and sometimes it doesn't. Um, it's for things that like are very wide that don't print well. If you have a very wide grid view, right? It's still gonna cut off. Um, I don't know how to get around that but yeah it's it's useful if you just want a simple print um of a not particularly complex side sheet yeah 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 what i kind of don't like is that it, it prints it like an input format um and not like you know text read format <clears throat> Yeah, there's two there's two options, one for like format for printer and one for not. Um, mm -hmm. Format for printer will remove backgrounds. Um, I wonder if that also removes like the outline of a field edit thing. But I would agree that I would want, if it's printing, not to come with those outlines because they're not useful, you know? Right, right. So, all right, yeah, more discussion there on 
on updates. So that uh, that concludes. We'll move on with with time. <clears throat> Those are some of the features that came out this week, and uh, keep you up to date on what's going on there. So let's move on. On to air. If you were watching last week's episode, we talked a little bit more in depth of the changes that were going on in on to air. So I'll refer you to last week's episode for for some more behind the scenes on on that. But for today, just going to focus on our backups, which is we are now focused on backups. And that's what we are going forward. We'll develop from there and, and branch out, but we'll be focused in managing your data, helping it easier to interact with your with your attachments and data inside of Airtable. Um, we have some great case studies that you can learn about on our website. So check it out at ontoair.com and slash backups. We'll get you more information about our backups and you can sign up and start backing up your data. Best practice to make sure that you have your data in more than one place outside of the Airtable backups. Okay, with that, let's learn about NoLoco. All right. You want to share your screen? Yeah, let me share my screen here. First, you got to tell us what that name means. Oh, yeah. No loco means no code, low code, which is the the world we find ourselves in with Airtable, uh, which I guess is what we consider low code. Um, so, you know, there's a bunch of so no loco is I feel like no loco is sort of flown under the radar and I've been playing with it a lot lately over the last month because I set up a, a client with NoLoco. And this is one of the portal tools that is available for Airtable. It's, um, you know, it competes against uh, Glide, Softer, Mini Extensions, uh, Stacker. Uh, those are the ones that come Pori. to my head right now. Pori, is Pori a portal one also? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. And this one um, has been the most powerful and the most full-featured one that I have found so far. Now it is a little bit confusing to set up, and one of the good new, one of the good things about it is that their tech support is so incredibly responsive that that if you do get stuck, they're right there to help you with it. And so I've been pretty pleased with this so far, um, and. And they're actually, uh, let me just show you, this is their website here. And they're actually, they connect to more than just Airtable. Um, they are even, they even have their own built-in backend database system. So you don't even actually need to use another app like Airtable to feed your data into this. So you could actually use them as your database source as well. Um, but you can see it ties into Google Sheets. Um, they're working on SmartSuite inter integration and Salesforce integration. And so it's really cool. So for people that are watching that may not know what a portal is, a portal is the name that they give to uh, a web app where people can log in and just see the records that are related to them. So for example, like a customer logging in and just seeing their own invoices from the past or uh, a manager logging in from one company and only seeing his employees, but not the employees from any other companies. So if you're using Airtable in any way to manage data 
for lots of different customers, lots of different companies, or lots of different anything. And those things need to be broken up where people can only see the records that apply to them. That's where you would turn to one of these portal tools. And so this has been my favorite one so far. And I wanted to show you a little very brief demo of how you would set it up uh, with no loco. So what I have here in Airtable is I created a very basic uh, uh, invoicing system called farm sales. So um, I've got a table here of some products that a local farmer is selling, selling some dairy products and some meat products here. And then we've got a list of customers here and we've got their name, phone number, email, all that. And then each customer is linked to one or more invoices. And so here's where you can set up the invoices. And then each invoice has multiple line items on it. And you can see the line items here. This is you know, all the line items for all the invoices. Um, and so this is our basic system. And so let's say that we wanted to create a portal where the customers can log in and they can see their previous invoices and they can also generate new invoices. But of course, we don't want them seeing any of the other customers. We don't want them seeing any of the other invoices from other people. Uh, and that's where a portal comes in. So I'm assuming that eventually, I mean, this is just an assumption, that maybe Airtable will roll out portal-like functionality in interfaces, but I don't know for sure about that. You can set it so that you only see records where the email address is yours or the Airtable collaborator field is yours, or you are in a group that is assigned to a particular collaborator field, but it, it's not, you do have to set that up for each like grid element or Kanban element, whatever that you put on the page. So it's not automatic, but you can do it. The primary like advantage of using uh, NoLoco or some other third party is that the pricing structure is likely more hospitable to your wallet than doing it all within Airtable. And they also typically have more customized, uh, customizable options. Um, in Airtable, of course, you're paying for every editor um, or creator, whereas in systems like NoLoco and Stacker, et cetera, um, you're priced differently and it ends up being less than it would be if all of your users were directly within Airtable. That is true. That is true. And that's also one of the main reasons that, thank you for pointing out all those reasons why people would probably choose a portal. And the other key reason, which goes along with that, with not only is it extremely expensive to do it in Airtable, but every single person has to have an Airtable account. Yes. So that's sort of, in, in many instances, you don't really want your the public, general public to, to even know you're using Airtable, really, or you know you don't necessarily want them to jump through the hoops of creating an Airtable account just to get access to it. And with this, you just send them a link to a website. And with NoLoco, they actually create an, create an account with NoLoco, but you can brand it with your own domain. Um, you know, people don't even need to know that you're using NoLoco. You could just put it right on your website. And, um, and so it's sort of a, uh, a more public friendly uh, option in a way. By the way, to your point about the pricing, uh, Camille, uh, this is what the pricing would look like if you're creating a customer portal. This gets a little confusing here. This is the starting price, 138 per month, but that's just to sort of get you in um, to create 
the the app. Um, if you want to start adding in what they call external users, that is the that's the general public. It's ninety nine an extra ninety nine dollar per month ninety nine dollars per month for a hundred users. So that's a so that's significantly cheaper than Airtable. So that's one dollar per user. So they distinguish between internal users. That's people like us and the people watching the podcast who are building the system. Uh, so $138 per app per month gets you, um, I think, one person that can log in and build the system. And then for every in additional internal user that's a builder, it's $19 a month. And then this is when you open it up to the general public, $99 per month for 100 people from the general public to access. Um, okay, cool. So I just want to show you real quick how we would set this up in NoLoco. So here we saw our Airtable system here, and we are going to build an app. And so I'm just going to talk you through just the basics, just to give you a demo of how you would do this. They have some templates here that you may want to use, but we're just going to start from scratch here. We'll click on create new app. And if you're not using your own uh, domain, they ask you to choose an app name here. Well, actually, the domain thing comes later anyways. So you always start by choosing a unique app name. So I will just call this farmsales.noloco.co. And then I'm going to choose Airtable as the source. And we're already connected here. And so I'm going to choose my farm sales base here. And this is going to be the name of it. And now it's connecting to Airtable and it's asking me which uh, tables I want to bring in. So I'm going to bring in all these tables. So when you first start setting this up, it's, uh, it's easy to, to quickly get up and running. But this tool is so complex that, that it, it, you, you would not believe how much this can do. It has built-in formulas, just like Excel. So you can do formulas right here. It actually has its own automations built in. So you can do fancy things within NoLoco where like it'll populate a field with some piece of data and then you could send that data back to Airtable. So where it does calculations and other things here, then goes back to Airtable, it lets you create buttons. It's the, um, the depth of this tool is really, really impressive. Um, and I'm still learning it myself because I just started playing with it about a month ago and my clients, uh, my one client, uh, they're using it and they love it so far. And, um, and so basically, okay, it finished the setup phase. And so this is where you can continue building your portal, or this is where you can start building your portal. So over here in the left margin here, this is how you navigate through. Uh, this is what they call the app. So this is what your customers logging into the portal will see. Um, everything from here onwards. They're not going to see this dark black vertical thing here. They're going to see from here onwards. And you could set your own logo up here as well. That's the no local logo right there. Um, so when our customers log in, we know that we don't really want them seeing our customers database. So what we're going to do is we're going to hide this from them. So you click on these little three dots here. We're going to hide that from the sidebar. And we may not even want them to be able to navigate to the products table. So we're going to hide that as well. And um, we may not need them to see a list of line items. We really just want them interacting with their invoices. So when they log in, they're going to see everything that is above the line here. So they're only going to see invoices. 
So right now you can see that we have all the invoices for all of our customers. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna go into this next uh, section here, which is called data. And data, this is for us only. So the customers will never see what we see here. This is showing us the information that it's pulling from Airtable. So these are the four tables that I had in Airtable. And, um, and I don't think we need to do much of the setup here. Let me just see what this is. Um, yeah, I think, let me just see something here real quick. Okay, right. So what we need to do, what we wanna do, I'm gonna to get to that later. What we wanna do is we wanna set this up so invoices are filtered based on the customer who's logging in. So before we can actually set the permissions on that, we actually need to go to our users because we need to tell NoLoco who actually are our users. So what it does by default is it brings in anybody who is set as a collaborator on your account. Um, and I think it only brings them in if they're a creator or an owner, not 100% sure about that. And what we wanna do is we want to create uh, a whole users table. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna click on, go up here and click on sync your users. You can see that it's a little bit confusing when you're first learning this because things are sort of spread out all over the screen. So there's a lot of discovery. If you're, if you're trying to learn it on your own, there's a lot of discovery of where you go on the screen. And so where I just went right here was all the way up here to the upper right. And I chose sync your users. So then we're going to tell it what our new user list is. And so I'm going to call this our customers and I am going to choose our customers table. And then it asks you to map the email address and the first name field. I actually have first and last in the same field. So I'm just going to map the first name field. And then it says, what is their user role? This, this really shows you the complexity of this program. We're not going to talk about user roles today, but you can create all these different user roles. And depending on who logs in, they can see different screens. They have different functionalities. Certain things disappear. I mean, this thing is so in-depth, like you, you wouldn't even believe it. Um, and so, but this is the very basic setup. So what I'm telling it is pull all the customers from my customers table. And those are our users of this app. So I'm going to click on save here. And it does take a couple minutes to set up. It says right here, your users are now syncing in the background. Please check back in a few minutes. Uh, and it'll send you an email when it's done syncing. So it's currently bringing in all the customer data from this customer table. And we have 501 customers in this table. So then let me refresh this to see how it's doing in the sync so far. Let's see. All right, we got 21 in so far. So it's in the process of syncing. And now that it's in the process of syncing, we can go back to our data table here. And now what we wanna do is we wanna tell it that for our invoices table, we don't want the customer to see all of the invoices from the whole system because they would see everybody else. So we wanna set permissions for the invoices. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna click on this little icon right here and we're gonna enable permissions. And then it gives us this table here. And we're gonna say, it says, should these users, oh, so it says apply these permissions to users with the following roles, because we chose that everybody in our customer's table is considered a user. That's the role, the default role. And we, it says, should these users have access to all records? We actually do not want them to have access to all records. So we're gonna turn this off and we're gonna create a new rule 
that says that when the customer is one of the logged in, so basically this is the customer linked record field. So that's what the link represents there. So just going back to Airtable real quick, this is, well, actually I don't, actually it's not a link record field. Oh yes, it is, I'm sorry, I apologize, it is because it's from the invoices table. And so that little icon means it's coming from this column right here, this field right here. So when the linked record field named customer in invoices is one of the logged in user from the customer's table and you choose the customer's name right here. So see, this is where it gets a little bit confusing with these drop down menus and the different icons and things like that. Um, I actually got this wrong multiple times when I tried to set it up, but their tech support talked me through it. And, and basically the reason it's is one of um, is because you can have multiple customers. Um, for example, if multiple customers are all at a company and they're logging in with a company email address, then it could be any of the customers that are linked to that company. So in other words, this linking can go multiple tables deep. That's actually what my clients are doing. So it gets very, very detailed. And I'm just going to wrap up in a few minutes here because I know we're running a little bit late on time, but I'm going to save this and that should be all the setup that we need to do. And so now what we're going to do is we're going to go back to our app. This is what our customers see now. And we're going to go into the invoices. Uh, now you, you can actually see here, it's actually showing us exactly what our customers are going to see when they log in on, in this left margin area here. Down here, there's a toggle. It's a build mode toggle. And you have to toggle this uh, on and off when you're working with no loco. When I toggle it on, it gives me all the other tables that we've hidden. I, I mean, I'm sorry, when I toggle, yeah, when I toggle build mode on, I see everything. When I toggle it off, it's as if I'm a customer that's logged in. But nobody's technically logged in yet. I'm still looking at it as an admin. But what you can do here is you can view it as another user. So what you do is you click on this, and this gives you the this gives us a list of all 501 customers that are in our customers table. And so now we're going to pretend that we're logging in as somebody. So we're going to log in as Stacy Schmaltz. I'm going to choose select, and now boom. It's showing us what Stacy is going to see when she logs into the system. And it says down right here, we're logged in as Stacy Schmaltz and she only has two invoices in the system. And if I come back here, we see that Stacy, um, uh, yeah, she only has, oh, this is showing all the line items. This is actually not showing her invoices. If I were to actually, let's go to this table instead. Um, if I were to actually, I could have just put in a lookup field there, but if I were to actually sort this, wait a second, right, let right, me do it this way. Right. I'm going to, I'm back here on this table. Let me sort this. Stacy Schmaltz only has two invoices, invoice number 1001 and 1008. And if you come in here, you could see that's accurate. And so if we come over here, this might be easier if I actually group by the customers, you could see it better. So John Wick has four invoices. This one actually has no line items on it, but let's go in and what we're gonna do is we're gonna view this as John Wick. This is what would happen when John Wick logs in. This will change to show his four invoices. And then you can go on from there. You can edit what happens when they click on one of these lines. It takes you into a detail of that screen. And if you go into 
uh, if I clicked on this edit button up here, this is me as John Wick, me as the customer going in and I could edit it. You could turn on and off the editability of these fields if you want. And if you go into build mode, this is where you as the builder can start adding fields, move things around. You can put text on the screen. You can embed videos. You can do all sorts of cool things. And yeah. can we stay on this page really quickly? Because a lot of with the um, logging in as one person and, you know, just seeing their records, you can do that in interfaces. Of course, we just went over how expensive it is to do so, but you can mm -hmm. do it. But I think this is what is where a lot of the value add for things like NoLoco is embedding video, embedding iframes, which means you can embed a whole other website or another app in there. I don't know how complex you can get with an iframe if you could give it a variable URL. So that might change depending on what record is in there. That is a lot of like the value at for NoLoco. And I, I've only played with it a little bit and it, there's, there's so much in here. You probably could do a whole episode. And yeah, I really like the, uh, the edit mode where you start off just looking at your data and you have an edit button to actually edit the records in interfaces. It's all live where, you know, it's either editable or it's not. There's no sort of toggle for that. That's yeah, totally. And I'll just wrap up by just saying two quick things here. The, um, the complexity of that you, you would not believe how complex this is. And to your question that you just asked, uh, Camille, check this out. I put an iframe here on the screen. And of course mm -hmm. you can move these things around wherever you want. Um, and look at this, you can actually make it pull from a data field. So it's completely customizable. So it'll change yeah. dynamically based on a field or you can import a URL or a script. Right, a static right? one, yeah. Yeah, or a static. Uh, yeah, that's great. So you can have an Airtable formula that outputs some embed URL and plop it right in there. That's great. Yeah, exactly. And so this is, so I'll stop here, but this is just the, this is just the tip of the iceberg. You could see that every single field here has its own set of options that you can, that you can, that you can uh, change. Um, there's a lot more. You can have filters, you know, mm -hmm. sorting and limiting uh, records. Um, there's buttons that they've got built in with a lot of functionality. Like it goes on and on and on what you can do with this. So I'll stop there. I said I'll stop there before, but now I really am going to stop. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Yeah, that gives you a little taste of uh, what you can get with No Loco. So try that out. Um, I'll quickly give a shout out to our Built On Air community. Join us. We'd love to have you in. And we're going to wrap up with Camille talking about timeline updates. <clears throat> okay. So um, there have been a lot of different changes that are uh, somewhat recent with the uh, timeline. I think some of them were launched like yesterday or the day before, and some of them were launched um, a week ago. I just wanted to give an overall sort of view of it because they're not all available everywhere. Um, and some of the additions that I, I think are quite useful. So when you open up a timeline view in um, the data layer for the first time in a while, it will give you just sort of a alert that things are different. It's a very simple timeline view. Um, one of the things that annoyed me to no end was that if you were very zoomed out and you had very small events, events that only 
lasted one particular day, they became practically like unreadable. Um, one of the changes that was added a couple of weeks ago is that um, labels will now stretch beyond the um, beyond the actual width of the event. So you could still read what they are, or in this case, the rightmost event. You can see there's a couple of them stacked. Um, you can highlight over to get the name of the event if it's not shown elsewhere on screen. Um, what you can also do, now you can turn on wrapping labels, which isn't particularly useful in this view, but if I adjusted the height of records and then the width of records, I would be able to have those labels wrap around instead of extending past. So that's somewhat new. Um, the newest one is record width. So the default is precise, widths aligned to the exact dates. In this case, all of these events are, I believe, one day long. The second option, expanded, is new. So width fills up each interval. Um, right now, I'm going to turn that on, and you can kind of see what happened. I have my view set to year split into two weeks. If I set that to set uh, split into quarters, these are going to expand out to whatever this interval is. Obviously, if it were day, it would be even more precise down to the hour. Um, and I believe it works at every one of these scales. So this is really useful for uh, timeline views that have a lot of records that are spread out in time and um, don't last, uh, you know, weeks. Several events that are only one day long, but you have to look at them across a whole year. You no longer have to really, really zoom in in order to understand what each record is. So those are two of the more recent um, sort of adjustments made to timeline views. They are available for um, the data layer version of a timeline. Just as a note, if you've turned on the apparent setting record width expanded, you won't be able to drag and drop anymore because it's not actually the width that it is. It doesn't really make sense for me to be able to drag this into a whole different quarter because remember, this is only one day. So what day in that quarter will it land on? Airtable doesn't wanna make that guess for you. So just so you know, if you if uh, drag and drop editability is important, um, then don't turn on that option. Um, moving into what interfaces um, look like, you have that option for the full screen timeline view. If you look under um, appearance, it's still there under record width. Um, and the last sort of place that you could put a timeline is as a individual element. And I don't believe that is an option. I looked at it yesterday and it seemed like it wasn't there, but actually it is there. Maybe it didn't, um, maybe the release hadn't been complete yet, but never mind. I was going to say some features are available in some places and some aren't. Turns out I was wrong. It's available everywhere. So any place you could put a timeline, it would seem you have this new option for expanded. Um, I'm going to be using that probably quite, quite a lot. Uh, uh, one of my more recent timeline builds, I had to use a formula that um, created a false end date so that 
small records could appear longer just so that you could see them on a timeline. And now I don't have to do that. So, yay. It's a great improvement. It's wonderful. That's awesome. <clears throat> and I am glad that you can put that everywhere. I was under the impression that this version, the individual ploppable timeline didn't have it, but it appears it does. See, those are the good surprises we love from right. our table. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to know they're actually still updating the core view elements and not just only in interfaces. <laughs> yes, I think that's a, a good sign that, you know, we are still getting improvements to the data layer because while a lot of my end users are going to be in interfaces, I'm still going to be building a lot in the data layer. And, you know, I want new features. Yeah, yeah. Very good. Well, that wraps up. I do have a hard stop at the top, so we'll hold off on the home screen. I know Scott was anxious to, to share his input. We'll have to have you back on and see how you really feel about home screen. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Perfect. That was good. Well, thanks for coming on, Scott, showing us that um, no loco demo and Camille thanks. as always. And we will see everybody next week on the Built on Air podcast. Have a great week. Thanks. Bye-bye. <laughs>